Are you tired of being told what to think and how to act? Well, you are not alone. In case you haven't realized it, you have an internal GPS. It knows all you need to know about how to live your life. So it's about time you stopped letting the media and the government tell you what is true for you. In fact, it is exactly that time. It's time to think for yourself. And here to make sure you're doing just that is your host, mediator, author, and lawyer, Carol Gold. Hi, it's Friday, May 13th. I'm Carol Gold, and welcome to Think for Yourself. I'm going to take this opportunity on this podcast to follow up Naomi Judd's suicide in the last week with the same kind of discussion that I had in 2009 when I was podcasting, and Heath Ledger, the actor, died of an overdose. I'm doing this because depression, major depression, is a, well, it's actually the most common mental disorder in the United States, but we don't talk about it. We don't bring it to the forefront. And I think Naomi Judd's suicide gives us that opportunity once again to try to make this the important topic it deserves to be. In the last two weeks, friends of mine lost their 32-year-old beautiful daughter because she committed suicide. Mental illness is one of the last taboos. And if it isn't one of the last taboos, it's at least inadequately addressed in the national discussion of health. I want to give you some data from the National Institute of Health for just the year 2020. For adults age 18 or older, 21 million adults had at least one major depressive episode in 2020. Those episodes out of that 21 million was higher among females than it was to males. For females, the percentage was 10.5%, and for males, it was 6.2%. It was overall highest among individuals 18 to 25. That age group comprised 17% of the 21 million. And it was even higher among those who reported having multiple, two or more, major depressive episodes. 66% of U.S. adults age 18 or over with major depressive episodes received treatment during 2020. And if we just look at adolescents 12 to 17, 4.1 million of them had at least one major depressive episode. And again, it was higher among females than males and it was highest among those reporting two or more episodes. We hear about depression and suicide when it involves high-profile people, like Elon Musk, for example. Because of his Asperger's, he has dealt with depression in his life. He said in a recent interview that he grew up with ideas continually downstreaming into his brain, And he feared he would be institutionalized when he realized that everyone didn't live that way. Albert Einstein, as a child, had a terrible temper and was comparatively late in his development. There was belief that he had Asperger's. He had problems in elementary school and his problems weren't with his coursework. His problems were with the other students. 
He felt isolated. He felt alone. His teachers felt that he was disrespectful because he asked them questions they didn't have the answers to. But it may not be any more complicated than that Einstein or Elon Musk or other people who suffer from depression are introverts trapped in an extroverted world. I relate to that in profound ways. And it's probably why this subject is of such importance to me. And I think it should be of such importance based upon simply the amount of people in this country who suffer from depression. As a child, I suffered from depression. I remember growing up, I had shutters in my bedroom window and I used to sit on my dresser and I'd open the shutters and I'd look out at the sky and I would talk to what I believed was God or some entity, some being, something out there above and beyond the world I was living in, hoping it could help me, hoping it would give me comfort. My intellect as a child was not needed and it was an intrusion to the other people in my family. I was smart. I was really smart. (laughs) I say in all modesty. I was also highly emotional and my emotional sensitivity was dismissed. In fact, I can remember I had a temper like Einstein and I remember hearing my parents say to me repeatedly throughout my childhood, you know what your problem is, young lady? Your problem is your temper. And I don't deny that I had one, but I believe it was born of frustration. It was born of not being understood. It was born of not understanding how to fit in because I am, in fact, an introvert living in an extroverted world. In my early 20s, I received medication from the family physician for depression. And I took it for a couple of years. And then at age 24, I tried to commit suicide and I came very close to succeeding, very close. I was in the ER and it was touch and go for a while. And I've spoken about this before. I had an out of body experience in the ER, which gave me a whole different perspective about life and death. But it's also possible that the medication exacerbated my depression because we now know that people who come off of antidepressants are more likely to be suicidal. Medication is not the answer. Medication treats the surface symptoms, but it does not treat what's underneath the surface, what the multiple factors are that may be at play with someone who has depression. I like to believe that as I got older, I learned how to manage it through a variety of means, through physical exercise, through a deep spiritual connection, through being able to talk about it with friends who have a sensitivity to it. But I also remember that I once met with a yogi who had come from the Himalayas and he happened to also read palms. And he looked at my palm and he was telling me my life and my future. And then he kind of stopped for a moment and I could tell he was reluctant to speak. And I said, what is it? And he said, I've seen this line before. And I said, what is it? And he said, you tried to kill yourself? And I said, oh, I did when I was 24, but I'm fine. I said, I've learned how to manage it. That's never going to happen again. And he said, no, that condition, when I see that line, it never goes away. And he was right in this regard. 
In my opinion, and I feel like an expert on depression because I've lived with it my whole life, it's like alcoholism. You don't get cured from it. It gets arrested. You keep it at bay by being aware and respectful of the destructive power that it has. And while I may not totally understand it even to this day, although I certainly have insights that I've gained over decades of dealing with it, I respect what it can do. You know, Naomi Judd said that when she was on stage in, a, in an evening gown and performing with sequins in her hair, that's who she was. That's who she really was. But then she would come off the stage and something would take over. And she wasn't that person anymore. I understand that. For me, it was a legal career during which when I was in court or I was working on a case or negotiating a settlement and I was very successful at what I did and good at what I did, which is probably why I was successful. I know that feeling that she had on stage. And then I know what happens after. I don't think I ever tried a case in my life that I wasn't in bed for three to four days afterward, recovering physically, psychologically, emotionally from the crash of what would happen and the depression that would follow. Remember the teenage statistic, 4.1 million teenagers in this country had at least one major depressive episode in 2020 those between the ages of 12 and 17. Now, add COVID and the isolation and the lack of socialization because schools were closed. Add these young people living with the threat of nuclear war from an absolutely lunatic Putin. Add the economy and young people's inability to economically get on their feet or buy a home. 20 and 30 year olds who are still living with their parents. And now add fentanyl. Fentanyl overdoses in 2020 was the number one cause of death in U.S. adults ages 18 to 45. It was deemed a national emergency. Until we examine our priorities, until we're willing to recognize who children are as individuals, who people are as individuals, until we're willing to not anticipate that we can run children through some kind of societal or behavioral pattern into which they will automatically fit in, until depression becomes a front and center national discussion, receiving the respect and the priority it deserves, until those things happen, this statistic will grow. More lives will be lost. Untreated depression, unrecognized depression, ever-growing depression leads to self-destruction. It leads to self-harm in all of its various forms. And ultimately, in a certain percentage of the population, it leads to suicide. I like to say, and I always do, that people who try to kill themselves don't really want to die. They've just misplaced hope. And when you misplace hope, you don't understand, you don't have a belief or a faith or an optimism that whatever it is that's happening right now can change, 
and it can change for the better. Without hope, you think however you feel, however your life is, whatever the circumstances are in the moment, that's your future. It's never going to change. And without hope, it becomes a rational and logical, in a perverse way, decision to take your life. Because who would want to stay if nothing could ever change and you were suffering tremendously, psychologically, emotionally, or in some cases, physically? But that's the thing about life. It is change. It is the essence of life. Nothing stays the same. And it's why holding on to hope is so important and why providing the kind of encouragement, support, and hope to people who are struggling to deal with mental disorders like depression, that we provide those things in order to give people life jackets to help them get through what seems like otherwise unbearable transits. I call myself an expert in depression and suicide because I've been there and I've done that. And there are a lot of people who have books and theories and education around mental health and whatever. And I'm not saying they don't know. I'm only saying that unless you've been there, unless you've been immobilized and unable to move because you're so depressed, unless you can't find an optimistic thought to hold on to, Unless leaving the earth looks like a better option than living on it or in it, unless you've been there, unless you've had those feelings, it's all just an intellectual exercise. I spoke for years to high school students, seniors, juniors and seniors, talking to them about depression, suicide, and bullying. And I always talk from my heart about this subject because it is dear to me, because I almost lost my life, but for a set of, maybe you could call it lucky circumstances, or you could call it divine intervention, whatever you call it, I almost wasn't here. And if I had left that day at age 24, I would have missed so many things. I would have missed becoming an attorney. I would have missed all the people I was able to help when I practiced law. I would miss love. I would have missed marriage. I would have missed divorce. I would have missed adopting my daughter. I would have missed raising my child. I would have missed the young woman that she's become. I would have missed the wisdom that age has brought me. There's been pain along the way and there's been joy along the way, but you can't have one without the other. And that's another realization that has to happen for people who think that life is too hard. The realization is that it is both hard and it is joyful. It is both a struggle and it is the most exciting and wonderful explosion of the human heart when love is exchanged between people. It is an incredible sense of personal power when you bypass even your own expectations of yourself in either a craft or a skill or a job or a service or in any way that you realize that there are no limits, that everything and anything is possible. These are the things that people have difficulty recognizing when they're in a state of depression. The kindest thing you can do for someone who's in a state of depression is to be there for them is to not allow them to be alone 
because they're already alone inside themselves. They feel disconnected. And I personally believe that it is the introverts. It is the most artistic, the most creative, the most out of the box kind of personalities and perceptions are those who suffer the most because we do live in an extroverted world. And being an introvert is no different than landing here from Mars or Jupiter or anywhere else and trying to fit in. I often joke that the reason I became an attorney is because right before my soul entered this body, they had me sign paperwork that I was coming back into this life. And I forgot to turn it over and read the fine print on the back, which is how I got here because I thought I was on my way to Jupiter. And now I've been stuck here on earth for decades and I became a lawyer so that I would never again sign a piece of paper for which I had not read the fine print on the back. I make a joke and I make light of it, but it is not a joke for us introverts to try to fit in and to create a space in this world where we feel safe, where we feel free to be ourselves, and where we periodically feel that it's absolutely okay to disconnect, withdraw into yourself, and nourish the energy that you've expended out there in that extroverted world. I hope that it doesn't take too many more high-profile suicides or the statistic on fentanyl deaths to climb much higher before we give mental health and particularly major depression the time, the energy, the respect, and the care that those who suffer from it deserve. Thanks for listening. I'm Carol Gold. I'll be back here again on Monday. And until then, by all means, think for yourself. Carol thanks you for spending your valuable time with her. It is her mission to empower you to remember how smart and capable you are. Be sure to check out Carol's website, carolgold.com. That's carol with an E, gold.com. Please leave a review and subscribe here so you'll be alerted to Carol's next podcast. Until then, above all else, remember, it's time to think for yourself.